Now, as you've turned to the sixth chapter of Daniel, I also want you to turn and put your finger at 1 Peter chapter 2. So let's look at that as well. 1 Peter chapter 2. And just kind of get that place, and we'll get to it in just a moment. Now, last week we began a, um, the sixth chapter in discussing what caused Daniel um, to be thrown into the lion's den, believing that what happened to cause him to be thrown into a den of lions is much more important than what happened in the den of lions. And so we, we took the first part of chapter 16 down to uh, verse, uh, chapter 6 down to verse 16 and discussed those things that caused this to happen. And we want to pick up tonight with this familiar story, Daniel in the lion's den. I've chosen to title this um, The Lion in Daniel's Den because really the one in, who's in control here is Daniel himself. Um, I suppose each of you has um, been to the zoo and you're, you're, you're pretty safe, you know, going to the zoo and looking through these iron bars and cages at these wild animals, these animals. It's a little bit different if you've ever been into these wildlife safaris, you know, these wildlife refuge um, places. And these big creatures come up to the car, you know. They, they, all, they all these signs, you know, do not open the door, do not roll down your window. You don't have to tell me that. I mean, I don't have to, no signs have to tell me that. These big um, animals come up there, you know, in the way you have to kind of move around them. And, and, and the king of the beast, you know, come up to the, to the car, kind of check out the tires, you know, chew on the, the aluminum. And, and you get a different perspective from that, from one of those things and on what happened to, to Daniel. Now there is a basic truth in this story that I want you to get. The basic truth is that Daniel is in a situation that could have ended his life. And I believe that God has been preparing Daniel for this one moment of truth, this great um, ultimate test. Daniel is 80 years old, over 80 years old at this time, by this time, and he's come to a situation that could have ended his life. That's the basic truth. Now there is a basic principle. Now, I've said this a jillion times. I want to say it again because I believe it, that understanding this principle is essential to biblical interpretation. And this is the principle. That you get... In the New Testament, you get the principles of the Christian life. And in the Old Testament, you get the pictures of the Christian life. So what you have in principle in the New Testament, you have in picture or illustration in the Old Testament. Now that makes two or three things come to light. One is that it, it means this, that the, that the central character of the Bible is Jesus Christ. He's the central character. The main character of the, of, of the Bible is Jesus. So everything in the Old Testament points to Him and everything in the New Testament points back to Him. But He is the central figure of the Bible. I think a second truth is, is that when you come to the New Testament and you get the principles of the Christian life, 
You can look in the Old Testament and find how those principles are to be lived out. You get them in illustration. And this is so wonderfully true in the story of of Daniel and in a New Testament principle that's in the book of of 1 Peter. Now, I smell popcorn, but that's not uh, not gonna bother me. Is it gonna bother you? Is there a door open? We can <laughs> who's cooking popcorn out here in church? All right. Now, the second first Peter chapter two. Now, if you think you know, if you can, if there's somebody selling popcorn out here to back, we're in big trouble. This is not the movies. <laughs> Mercy, what a that's a powerful smell of popcorn. I bet the nursery. I saw people leaving, headed down to the nursery. (laughs) Second chapter of 1 Peter. And we're going to read verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as to the one in authority or to governors, etc. Now I want you to turn back to Daniel chapter 6 and verse 3. Daniel 6, 3. Then Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps, governors. Satrap was a governor because he possessed an extraordinary spirit and the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. Now the principle of 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 13 is illustrated in chapter 6 of Daniel verse 3. All right, back to 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 15. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. All right, Daniel chapter 6, verse 4. Then the commissioners and the satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs, but they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption inasmuch as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. The principle in 1 Peter 2.15 says that if you are obedient and submit yourself, it silences foolish men. That's what Daniel chapter 6 verse 4. They could find nothing in him to accuse him. Because he was faithful, there is no recorded sin in Daniel's life. We know he was a sinner for all of sin. No record of his sin. All right, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. And Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. Daniel 6.10, now when Daniel knew that the doctrine was signed, he entered his house, skipping the princes, and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had done previously. One more time, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. For what credit is there If when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience, but if when you do what is right and suffer for it, 
you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. Now that word is interesting there, favor. It means that, that God gives special commendation to those who suffer unjustly and do it with the right kind of spirit, in the right kind of spirit. Now, that's precisely where some of you are this very evening. You've not done wrong, you've done what is right, and you've lived with pure motives, you've done right, and you've been mistreated. And God says that if you endure that in the Spirit of Christ, He will honor that. That's what God said. That's the principle. And chapter 6 of, of Daniel's story, in chapter 6, where we're at tonight, that principle is illustrated. And that's the whole story of the lion's den. That a man suffers unjust treatment in the Spirit of Christ, and God honors it. Now one thing about the story of, of um, Daniel and the lion's den is it's a lot like Jonah and the whale. Now what we focus on in the story of Jonah and the whale is the whale, you know. And everybody argues and debates about whether or not that's a you know, real fish swallow Jonah. Sometimes we focus on Jonah. It is also true that when you come to the story of Daniel, you focus on the lions or you focus on Daniel. The main focus of this story is on neither of those two. Not on the, on the lion, not on Daniel. Let me tell you where the focus of this story is to be placed. It is to be placed on Darius the king. Now I believe that what is happening here in the story of, of Daniel in the lion's den is God is doing His work on Darius and He has unleashed the weapons of His warfare, which are spiritual, and He's going to bring this king to a faith in Him. And what is happening here is that He's allowing Darius, the king, to be a witness to the power of God. He's allowing Darius, the king, to be a witness to the grace of God in the life of a prophet because he wants eventually to bring Darius to faith in him. And he's going to use these events, these circumstances, this suffering in the life of Daniel to accomplish that. Now, the issue that tonight is that when you are in a predicament and, and you suffer, there's more to that predicament and more to that suffering than just your suffering. Hudson Taylor says that the, the, the important thing is not, uh, it doesn't really matter what the pressure is. What really matter is, matters is where the pressure is applied. It, does, it, is it, does it come between you and God or does it press you closer to Him? And what is happening in Daniel's story is that this predicament, this pressure, reveals a power and a grace in Daniel's life that brings Darius to his knees. Now you remember from last week, as a matter of fact, verse 14, that Darius tried to get Daniel out of this. And he, 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 there's a special kind of friendship that's going on between uh, Darius and Daniel. And he comes in verses 14 to 16 and he's cheerleading for, for Daniel. Now here is this pagan king and he's saying to Daniel, you know, hang in there. 
because your God is going to deliver you. And I find it amusing that, that this pagan king is giving, you know, he's this cheerleader for Daniel. A number of years ago, uh, Wiry tells in one of his books that they found an ancient lion's den in, in the country of Morocco, and this is how it was constructed. It said, he said there that those lion's den in that day, probably in Daniel's time, were, were, were a caverns underground. And they were divided with a partition that opened at the top. You could open it, had a door you could open at the top. And, and from the top they could open, it, they could close this door and, and, and it would divide off the cavern. So it was two partitions. And they would throw pieces of meat in one side and they'd open the door and the, the lions would go in there and then they'd close the door. And with a rope ladder they would go down into the cavern and clean it out. And then they'd do, the, do it on the other side. And the entrance to the, to the lion's den was on the top over which they placed a stone. So I want you to get the picture as they put Daniel down in this cavern filled with these, these huge lions. Beginning verse 17. And a stone was brought and laid over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with its own signet ring, and with the signet rings of his nobles, so that nothing might be changed in regard to Daniel. Then the king went off to his palace and spent the night fasting. And no entertainment was brought before him. He's not in the partying mood. And his sleep fled from him. He spent a, he spent a sleepless night because of his, his genuine love for this man, Daniel, this old prophet. I suppose that everybody tonight can identify with those kinds of nights when sleep flees and you spend a night of sleeplessness. And the next morning says that the king arose with the dawn, the break of day, and he went in haste to the lion's den. And when he had come, I want you to look closely at verse 20. And when he'd come near the den to Daniel, he cried out with a troubled voice, the king spoke and said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you have constantly served, been able to deliver you from the lions? Let me ask you a question. If you um, had a loved one, a best friend, thrown into a den of angry, hungry lions and the, and the stones put on the top of it and sealed, and you, were, you knew that he was in that lion, or she was in that lion's den all night long, and the next morning, you approach that lion's den, what would be your attitude? At least Darius was religious enough to believe the possibility of a miracle. At least he was religious enough to believe in the possibility of a miracle. How many, of you, how many of you are religious enough to believe that? When you came to church tonight, did you come with the anticipation of the possibility of a miracle happening in this place? And when you deal with circumstances that keep you awake at night, and you can't sleep at night because of the predicament, how much do you anticipate a miracle occurring in those situations? I'm telling you that Darius was probably 
more convinced that a miracle occur than 90% of the folks in this congregation tonight would be. I want you to notice the second thing about verse 20. He said, has your God, whom you constantly serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? Can you, can you see the implication in that verse 20? The implication is that if he doesn't deliver him, it means that he's not able to deliver him. That's not always the case. Because God doesn't deliver you from a predicament doesn't necessarily mean that he is unable to do so. For you see, sometimes the best thing that God can do in a person's life is to leave him in the predicament. And just because God doesn't deliver you from the predicament doesn't mean that he's not able to do so. That's the implication of verse 20. Then Daniel spoke to the king. O king, he said, look at that verse 21. O king, live forever. Now, if the king thrown me into lion's den, I'm... I'm probably going to say, oh, king, I hope you're dead before morning. But he, uh, oh, king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth. They've not harmed me in as much as I was found innocent before him and also toward you. Oh, king, I've committed no crime. Does it seem strange to you that that Daniel's down here and, and, and the king's up there and they're just carrying on this conversation? I've got an idea that if I were in Daniel's sandals, I would have said, drop me that rope and I'll get out of here and then we'll talk, you know. <laughs> we'll, we'll visit about this. And he's just, they're just carrying on this conversation and Daniel's down there with all those lines just having this little rap with, with Darius. Because he's just surrounded, you see, by the presence of God. It is true that he is a very present help in trouble and he's surrounded by the presence of God and everything is just fine. Now verse 23. Then the king was very pleased. He gave orders for Daniel to be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up from the, out of the, of the den and no injury whatever was found on him. Why? Because he had trusted in his God. Now, Daniel's been mistreated, but it's not Daniel who calls for revenge and retribution. It's Darius who does that. I mean, there's no, there's no revenge in Daniel's heart. There's no desire to get even in his heart. But the king does. Now, watch this. The king gave orders, and they brought those men who had maliciously accused Daniel, and they cast them, their children their wives into the lion's den. And lest you think, lest you say, and some skeptic might, that the reason why these lions didn't attack and devour Daniel is because they weren't hungry. You know. Lest you say that, read the rest of verse 24. And they had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then Darius, the king, wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language. This is his response. Who are living in all the land, may your peace abound. I'll make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom, men are, a, are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. 
for He is a living God, during forever. And His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. And His dominion will be forever. He delivers, rescues, performs signs and wonders. He's exulting in the God of Daniel, who has also delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. And then Daniel's good fortune is verse 28. Now, whatever you want to call this, I want to give you four or five things, then we're out of here. Number one, I think it might be a little different than in the worksheet, but I happened on some, some thoughts as I was working on this today. Number one, be careful when you ask God to use you. You might wind up in the lion's den. Be careful when you ask God to use you. You might wind up at a lion's den. Now, I have a feeling that when we ask God to use us, what we have in mind is to give us, you know, positions of authority and success. When we pray, God, use me, most of the time what we have in mind is, let me be a great speaker, let me sing a beautiful solo, let me witness with power. Let me show you something. When you ask God to use you, you better be careful about that because he might put you in a position like Daniel because this is how he used him. He put him in a predicament that there was no way out and no solution, no salvation. For he used Daniel in a predicament that the king could observe and watch and, and behold the grace and the power of God. Now the best time that God may have in using you is in a situation you would dare never choose for yourself. All right, second. You are being watched. You are being watched. If you are a believer and you have professed faith in the living God, somebody's watching you. And you become the message to them. You become the witness to them. You become the object lesson. And how you respond to life becomes a negative or a positive witness. But you can mark this down. You are being observed. And many times I have people say to me, Yeah, I was watching old so-and-so. And if that's the way a Christian acts, I don't want any part of it. I hate to tell you this. But when you sign on to God, you sign on to be one that others observe and they watch how you respond to life and they watch how you respond to circumstances and predicaments. Wouldn't it be great if you and I could back off and just get the, the perspective of why things happen to us the, the way they happen to us and, uh, and, and just know the number of times God allows situations in, in our lives so that others can watch the demonstration of His grace and power in our lives in that situation. All right, third. The nights are different for those whose trust is in God. The nights are different. 
Now one man spent a sleepless night in his palace. The other man spent a sleeping night in a lion's den. You know the difference? The difference was that one had the trust, his trust in the living God. Now nights are different for those who trust in God. N-I-G-H-T. All right, four. I was looking at this a little while ago and this just really made sense to me. Listen to this. The pieces of the puzzle that God used to win Darius didn't just include the miracle of the lion's den. Now that was a pretty big and spectacular thing, but that wasn't the only thing that Darius observed in Daniel. And what convinced this king that this God is the living God and all this stuff that he talks about here was not just because Daniel was spared from from angry lions. I'm convinced there were three other things that factored into the equation. One was his respect for authority. Now listen to me carefully. You don't have much of a witness if you don't have respect for authority. And a person who is not submissive to authority, whether that's at school or home or in the world itself, does not have much of a witness. The second thing that, that factors into this, that, that touched Darius's heart concerning the living God was the absence of bitterness. Now the natural thing for a person to do when he's mistreated is to be bitter and retaliate. There's nothing like that. I mean, he looks at this man and sees the the total absence of bitterness. There's something different about him. And the third thing was this common courtesy that Daniel expressed. Now, what you do when the king comes by you say, oh, hail king, or whatever you call him. May you live forever. Common courtesy. Now, if I've just been delivered from the den of lions, from the lion's mouth, and the king who threw me there comes by, I might want to say, uh-huh. You know, thought you were pretty tough, huh? Look at here. You know, that kind of a thing. Common courtesy. One last thing, Fifth. True deliverance is that which brings you nearer to an eternal home. Now I want you to take your New Testament one last time and turn to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. Now, the principle is this, the truth is this, that what you have in principle in the New Testament you have in picture in the Old Testament. And it's one of the most wonderful things about an in-depth study of the Bible is to see how it all fits together. Now here is Paul hundreds of years later and he is giving his little farewell speech to Timothy, his friend. And this is what he says beginning in verse 16. At my first defense, 
No one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me in order that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear. Look, and I was delivered out of the lion's mouth. Now, he knew something about Daniel's story, no question about that. He's really making a reference to um, his being rescued from Nero, the emperor. I was delivered out of the lion's mouth. I want you to notice the next statement. The Lord will deliver me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to His heavenly kingdom. To Him be the glory forever and forever. Now here's the point. Is that the God who delivers men out of predicaments and circumstances is the God who has promised your security that He will deliver you to the eternal kingdom. And the greatest deliverance that's available to man is the deliverance from death to life in the spiritual sense. And God's the only one who can do that. Now I'm King Darius and I've just put in a lion's den the man I most respect. The next morning I observe the grace and the power of God and I believe. I wonder if there's an unbeliever here tonight who has observed the grace and power of God in another. Maybe your own parents, some friend. Or I wonder tonight, is there someone in this place who would be willing to say, I want to be used of God. I want the grace and the love and the power of God to be demonstrated in me, regardless of what that means. Let's pray together. Father, help us to be witnesses of your grace and power in the life we live. For I pray in Jesus' name. There are three invitations tonight. An invitation for you to believe in Jesus Christ and surrender your heart and life to Him. Trusting Him for your salvation, for your deliverance from sin. An invitation for you to make a new commitment of your life, to follow Christ in total commitment, to sell out to God, or to join this church by statement, a promise of letter, or however you'd like to come. While we stand to sing, we invite you to come.